Hear God's word from Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I was asked if I was going to do a special Christmas sermon. This text is perfect for a Christmas sermon. Because we get to look at who Jesus is, the son of David, and David's Lord. Jesus here in this part of Mark, we've been trekking through the book of Mark. You remember Jesus is in the temple. He's still in the temple, even in this passage, discussing with the religious leaders after a barrage of confrontations by a variety of religious leaders. Here, Jesus goes on the offensive. He's asking the question this time. He's starting to direct the discussion. It's not that he has been out of control. We've seen he is a master in responding to these religious leaders and their scheming questions. But this time, he directs the conversation. And where does he direct the conversation but to himself? Now, we know what it's like when somebody walks into the room and always makes the conversation all about them. Jesus is the only one who can do that properly and lovingly. And he does that here. He turns the attention to himself. He's asking them, who is this Messiah, the son of David? If he did not tell them who he was, it would not be for their good. It is only for their good that he talks about himself. You'll remember last week he was talking with the scribe who asked about the greatest commandment. We cannot get to heaven by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. We can't do it. It might be the greatest commandment, but we have broken God's law and we are guilty. So we have to look now to something besides a commandment. We have to look to a person and we have to look to the very person Jesus draws the attention to here in this passage. We have to look to the person of Jesus who has perfectly kept the greatest commandment to love God and love neighbor. And so therefore our hope is in him alone, not in our own keeping of these laws. So Jesus, by drawing the attention to himself, is doing evangelism. He's showing people the good news by showing them who he is. He is bringing the dead to life by bringing them to himself. The very first thing Mark told us in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, said this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Peter in chapter 8 made a declaration, you are the Christ. Mark's told us he's the Christ. Peter's told us he's the Christ. So with that knowledge, we understand that Jesus, as he brings up this discussion of the Christ, he is talking about himself. The question is, is he the Messiah, the son of David? Is the Messiah the son of David? The scribes say that he is the son of David. Is that who the Messiah is? Let's review quickly what Mark has told us about Jesus and his connection to David. Blind Bartimaeus exclaimed twice, very boldly in chapter 10, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And back then when we looked at that passage, we realized this is calling Jesus king. This is a royal proclamation about Jesus' identity, and he does not command silence on the part of blind Bartimaeus. And then the crowd, as Jesus came in to Jerusalem, said, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And Jesus does not deny it, but proceeds in that proclamation into the city. Or Jesus, in his own words, coming up in chapter 14, when asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? He says, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. We're looking at Jesus, the Christ, the son of David today, and it's a glorious story. We're going to focus in on two things about Jesus. First, that he is David's son, and second, that he is David's Lord. First, Jesus is David's son. Here, Jesus poses the question, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? There were great expectations for the son of David. What was the son of David going to do? In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Salvation would be coming from the house of David. And in Isaiah 11, verse 1, there's a direct connection between the shoot from the stump of Jesse, that is, of the line of David, there will be the one who rules with justice, this messianic figure, this Christ figure. He will be the shoot from the stump of Jesse. So the son of David has, there are great expectations wrapped up in who he will be. Some look at Jesus' question and say, oh, well, Jesus is saying that the Christ is not the son of David. It's a rhetorical question asking, well, the scribes say he's the son of David. Can they say that? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Instead, what he's saying is, yes, he is the son of David, but he is not just the son of David. And it is important for us to see that he is the son of David. What would a son of David be, need to be? Well, first of all, he'd need to be a human because David was human. So somebody from the line of David is going to be human. And he must be, this seems to go without saying, he must be from David's family tree. So we're looking for a human from the line of David. There was a heresy called docetism that says that Jesus and all his greatness and knowledge and power and authority only appeared to be human. He seemed to be human, but was actually, in some sense, maybe a phantom or a hologram. He was a spirit. But we know that he was both truly God and truly man. So far in the book of Mark, the problem has not been that everybody is exalting him as some God who is not human. In fact, it's the opposite. They see him just as a human and they don't see that he is divine. Mark tells his readers from the beginning that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. But the characters in the story, they still don't seem to get it. And here Jesus stood before them in flesh and blood. It's important that Jesus stand before them in flesh and blood. John, in his first letter, chapter 1, starts with this famous passage. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. He walks through the physical interactions with this Jesus to show that he is truly human. 
You may remember in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went to Nazareth and was the prophet without honor because they just thought, isn't this just the son of Mary? He's just another guy. But we know that this Jesus is indeed human. Maybe this Christ, this Messiah, the Son of God, is indeed of the flesh and blood of King David. So let's look at Jesus' family connection to King David. He descended from normal humans in the line of David. Matthew traces the bloodline of Jesus' ancestors, rooting him in human history, specifically the lineage of David. That's how the New Testament opens. This genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this time of year, we hear the Christmas story read from the book of Luke, and it's a beautiful story. I don't know if we've noticed, though, how many times David is mentioned in Luke 1 and 2. I'm going to point out a few examples here. When the angel was talking to Mary, the angel said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And then as Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, they go to the city of David because that is their lineage. It says here in Luke chapter 2, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then when the angels appeared to the shepherds, hark the herald angels sing. They said this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In this story, where we hear that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, we can't help but be struck by the ordinariness of his arrival. Showing up in Bethlehem, no room in the inn, a real, fully human baby that cried. And I know that babies cry. Felt the pain of a sharp object. His family wasn't anything special. They didn't have reservations in Bethlehem or any special connections to get them a room. So there in that manger, the Savior, the Son of David, was laid. As every other baby is laid to sleep in a crib. He is truly human, like one of us. And it's really important that Jesus be a human. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, because He identifies with us. He can save us because he can be our representative. He is that word that became flesh and dwelled among us, as John tells us. And Hebrews says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might make propitiation for the sins of his people. I'm grateful that Jesus came to be like us. And it's not something that is easy to comprehend. But. What does it matter for us if Jesus is human or not? 
we will get to the point where his humanity is essential for our salvation and justification. But I also want us to look at the fact that Jesus understands loneliness and grief and temptation. For those who feel alone, for those who are grieving, for those who are tempted, Jesus understands. He's not a distant God who's asking us to climb up to where he is. He has entered into where we are. He has come down to our level to save people like us. Hebrews 7 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In Philippians 2, he knows us. He made himself nothing like a servant being born in the likeness of men. What a good God that he would identify with us, that he would come down as the son of David. But we know that Jesus is more than ordinary man. Because Simeon, who longed to see the son of David arrive, in Luke 2, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. When Simeon saw Jesus, he knew that he was seeing the salvation that God himself has prepared, the salvation for Jews and Gentiles. This, we see, is more than just a man. Jesus is David's son, but now we move on to the second part. Jesus is David's Lord. Jesus brings up this quote from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most quoted passage in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, the scribes are saying that the Messiah is the son of David. Jesus says, yes, but... What about when David says this, and he quotes Psalm 110, when he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Son of Man is not just the Son of David. What this says is, the Lord said to my Lord. This is Yahweh said to David's Lord. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This Son of David David himself speaks of as his own Lord. How is it that this man in history, the history of Israel, has a son whom he calls Lord? This is not proper by cultural standards to call one's son Lord. This is not a light reference saying my son is of great honor. This is speaking of something supernatural. Speaking of someone who existed as David said this. Because this son of David is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's not just David's son in his humanity, but he is also God's son. He is divine, Christ the Lord. Again, Mark said at the very beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. If Jesus' humanity means that he can stand in for us, and be our substitution, that he understands us, that we will be resurrected with him, then his divinity means that he can actually bear the weight for our sin's punishment. A mere finite human cannot endure the weight of God's wrath against him. So we need our Savior, Christ the Lord, to be divine. And he is, so that he can bear the wrath of God for our sins. Our sins against an infinite God bear an infinite punishment 
and Yahweh, speaking of David's Lord, speaking of the Christ, speaking of Jesus himself, said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Sit at my right hand. The right hand is a place of honor, place of authority. Listen to all these places where Jesus is described as sitting at the right hand of God. Romans 8. Jesus, excuse me, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see that comfort? Because Jesus is at the right hand in authority and he intercedes for us. We have an advocate with the Father. And in Ephesians 1, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is what God is working for our salvation. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We can go on. Hebrews 8, 1. Hebrews 10, 12. 1 Peter 3. Jesus' place is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And it shows that he, first of all, has divine authority. The foundation of God's throne, a righteousness and justice. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He has authority over the religious leaders, although they seemed to control the institution of the day. Acts 5 says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus alone is the true head of the church. He is the one who is in charge of what we do here. He alone has the authority to forgive sins. He alone taught with authority. And everybody was awed because their teachers in the synagogue didn't have that kind of authority. There is no power or government or force or anything else that can overpower the authority of Jesus. And another thing that we see about the fact that Jesus is said to sit at God's right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. We also see that that means Jesus is pre-existent. He is eternal. He's been around a lot longer than the 30-some years that he had walked the earth at this point. Jesus, God's Son, the Lord of David, who also stands before the scribes in our text today and lives by the Spirit with his people today, with you and me, and continues to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father, this Son of God must be eternal. If David called him my Lord, then he existed at that time. If Jesus is the I am before Abraham was, then he existed before Abraham. If he is the Word who created all things in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, then he existed before the creation of the world. He is pre-existent, eternal, and all-powerful. He is God. This is an incredible teaching in the temple. Jesus is telling these scribes who have limited their understanding of the Messiah to this man of the line of David. Jesus is saying, I am he. 
and I am God. It's no wonder a few days later they want him killed for blasphemy. The difficult part for them is that all of Jesus' enemies will be put under his feet. The difficult part for anyone who sets themselves against the Lord is that Yahweh himself says, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is a sign of submission, a sign of subjection, a sign of victory on the part of the one who is sitting at God's right hand. Whose enemies will be subjected under their feet without exception? It's the Most High. It's God himself who has that authority, who who will have the earth as his footstool, as Acts 7 says. And if it is true of the Most High and it is true of Jesus, then Jesus is equating himself with the Most High God. With this co-rule, then, as he shares authority, the enemies of Jesus are the enemies of Yahweh, and they will be defeated Think back to the past few conversations that Jesus has had with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees and the Herodians. All those who have set themselves against Jesus, they have also set themselves against God. His enemies will be subjected to him, and when he returns on that last day, he will come in complete victory. And there will be a complete reign and there will be no more wickedness roaming. There will be no more temptation, no more sorrows. All of Jesus' enemies and all of God's enemies will be completely conquered. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This should strike fear into every person who does not have faith in Jesus Christ. Because that day is a hopeless day. Unless we have Jesus Christ. Unless we have his righteousness. Unless we have his perfect completion of the, of the law. Unless we have his righteousness that he gave to us on the cross and in his resurrection. If we are not in Christ, we will have to stand on our own that, on that day. And we cannot stand before a holy God on our own. But if this Jesus is supposed to be this kind of conqueror and this victor, let's think back to Christmas Day. Think back to that baby in the manger, that son of David born in Bethlehem. Did he grow up into that victor who overthrew the powers of his day? What happened? He grew into a man who did the Heavenly Father's will. He grew into a man who gathered his people the ones that his father had chosen from before the world began. He taught them about himself and he was brutally killed publicly for sins that he did not commit. That doesn't sound like victory, does it? It doesn't sound like the enemies have been put under his feet. But he did offer forgiveness. The call is to believe in this man who is God Because when he died, he also rose three days later. And when he rose, all of his enemies were subjected under his feet with all divine authority. And life was again for God's people. Jesus gave life to all who believe in him. 
Think of that third verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel. Listen to the victory that Jesus accomplished as the man who appeared to have lost by worldly standards. He won by all spiritual standards. It says this, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. We have victory over the grave. From the depths of hell we have been saved because Jesus, that man, God who became man, who dwelt among us, he died and he rose and he conquered his enemies and his enemies are under his feet. They have no power over you and me. The powers of death and evil, Satan himself holds no more authority over Jesus' redeemed ones. When he rose triumphant over death, he took the sting of death, which can no more touch his people. 1 Corinthians 15, famous passage on the resurrection, says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and death itself is destroyed. Today, sin no longer binds us. We might and we will most likely die the physical death, but death has no more sting because we have spiritual life. We will rise victorious with this Jesus who rose on the third day because he became like us to be our representative and to bind us to him. He took our punishment. He gave us righteousness instead. So we, people of faith in the Son of David, the Lord of David, the Son of God, we face with unquenchable hope. We face not just Christmas, not just this season, not just this year, not just this life. We face all eternity with hope. Because our God, as human, redeemed our bodies. And as God, redeemed our souls. For those who have not put their faith in Him, this is the call. To look to this Jesus. To forsake any earthly authority because it will be subjected to Jesus. Sin has no hold over those who have looked to Jesus. You can be forgiven. Your guilt can be wiped away. You can receive life from this God-man who became like you, who understands you, who loves you. Look to him for faith, for life, for hope. And once our faith is in him, what's our job? But to wait patiently. Let's be patient people. Let's wait for that day when he returns and ushers in his reign completely because then Jesus' enemies, who will also be our enemies on that day, they will be made completely and without exception subject to Christ the Lord. Until then, let us not forget that we have the man Jesus Christ who understands us, who gave himself for us. We have the authority of God himself as our protection against the world, against Satan, and against the evil within our hearts. And we have his spirit with us as we journey toward the heavenly kingdom where the son of David, Christ the Lord, the king, is at the right hand of the father.
That's our hope. Let's never forget it. Let's wait patiently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us. Before we even knew who you were, you loved us so much that you sent your Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would we be those who live in that life now, who have hope because we see what you have done for us? Because what Jesus has done alone, that is our hope. And it is to him that we look, it is to him that we sing, and it is for him that we live. It's in his name, by your spirit we pray. Amen.